Oh, now that's lovely. That might be my favorite copyright expired song that we have featured here on the podcast. That is Claire Brookhurst and Louis James singing Indiana Moon. And let me tell you, if you have been fortunate enough in your life to travel to Indiana, and some people have been, if you haven't, I'm sure it's probably an aspiration of yours, something you'd like to do in your life. Maybe you have a jar of change on your nightstand with Indiana written on it. You just kind of throw a quarter, throw a dime in there every now and then and dream, ah, maybe one day, one day I'll travel to Bloomington. But I've been to Indiana, not to sound like a big shot, but I've been to Indiana. And let me tell you, the moon in Indiana, oh, breathtaking. If you think the moon is round where you are, in Indiana, the moon is so round. And you're thinking, yeah, about once a month. No, three times a month in Indiana, the moon is perfectly round. Words don't do it justice. You just have to go. I hope you're fortunate enough at some point in your life to experience the majesty of the moon when viewed from, say, Gary. Hello. Welcome to the I Might Be Wrong podcast. I'm Jeff Maurer. This is the podcast version of of my Substack, which is called I Might Be Wrong and can be found at imightbewrong.substack.com. I hope you go there. I hope you sign up either for the paid version or the unpaid version, even though in terms of what they get you, they are identical right now. If you pay me, that's only because you're a nice person and you want to. It's totally free. You can read everything, and there are many more columns other than what I'm doing today. Today's episode is called Science blah blah horseshit is the universal language of COVID. I wanted to write this one because I think sometimes a lot of us are a little reluctant to admit that we are totally lost when it comes to the science of COVID. 99.8% of us are just depending on what other people tell us because we have to, because we don't have a background in virology. And given that just about all of us are pretty much ignorant, we're depending on institutions, and it, it kind of breaks my heart when I see institutions making missteps that erode their credibility in a moment when I think we really need them to be credible. So the episode is Science Blah Blah Horseshit is the Universal Language of COVID, subheading, and it's why we need to be able to trust institutions. Wow, what a zippy subheading. I really knocked that one out of the park. Hmm. So, South Africa, home of the Omicron variant, and the trademark is still open on that phrase, South Africa. South Africa is only 22% vaccinated. It is not because they lack doses. They have been turning away vaccine shipments, so that's not the problem. The problem is that much of their population, like much of our population, doesn't trust the vaccine. Why not? Well, According to South Africa-based writer Eve Fairbanks, it's partly because of general vaccine skepticism and partly because of what I'll call the global COVID bullshit industrial complex. Here's a tweet from Eve Fairbanks, and I'm not even going to attempt a South African accent. It would just come out Australian. Here's Eve Fairbanks. She says, Tucker Carlson, Brett Weinstein, Dr. Robert Malone, all your British celebrity vax skeptics, they're all popular. The biggest South African vax skeptic celebrity, Nick Hudson, 
three quarters of his tweets are just retweets of Westerners. I went through a week of them and counted. End tweet. So this guy, Nick Hudson, who she mentions, I'm not familiar with him. He's not known in America, but he's apparently known in South Africa. And I went through his Twitter feed. And first, because I went through Nick Hudson's Twitter feed, I now need to reiterate something that I have said before, which is that Twitter absolutely needs an ironic hate scroll mode, because after I went to his Twitter feed, my algorithm, my feed is now full of ultra-libertarian <laughs> fringy crap. <laughs> it's just all woven in there. Every digital anything needs ironic mode. Netflix needs ironic mode so that they don't monkey with my algorithm when I watch, for example, Tiptoes, the 2003 film in which Gary Oldman plays a dwarf. You heard me right. Gary Oldman plays a dwarf by walking around with shoes on his knees, dwarf on golf style. Don't give me more esteemed actor playing a dwarf movies after I watch that, please, Netflix. I was watching ironically. But back to Nick Hudson. His Twitter feed is an anti-vaccine bullshit factory. Hudson, he does not exist in this sort of Joe Rogan, hey, I'm just asking questions and I may be not doing it in a very responsible way, kind of gray area. Hudson straight up thinks the pandemic is a hoax. He retweeted someone who called COVID-19 a fake-demic, clever, a fake-demic, <laughs> and he has passed on Pearls of wisdom such as this tweet from a user called Ruminator Dan, who says, May I politely point out that Omicron is an anagram of moronic. To which I say, holy fucking shit, he's right! He's right! And you know what else? Coronavirus is an anagram for U.S. Raccoon Irv. Think about it! It was right in front of us the whole time! Want to have your mind blown even more? Ruminator Dan is an anagram for Romanian turd. We are through the looking glass here, people. It's been right in front of us the whole time. I don't know what to make of this shit. But one way that Hudson, the South African guy, sows mistrust is by spreading outlier opinions from people who have legit-sounding credentials. These people often use vocabulary that is unfamiliar to just about everyone. Here are two tweets of many. The first is from a guy named Kevin McKernan, who, if you click on his Twitter profile, he has some legit-sounding credentials. And he says, When you warp speed your Condon optimizations and forget to look at quadruplex G formation, these mRNA vaccines should be considered pro-drugs, where proof of the final drug is measured, not assumed. I don't know what that means. We'll get to that. A second tweet is from a guy named Mark Giraudot, who says, Looks like Dr. Sukarit Bhakti shares my vision that the vaccines simply cannot work because they are not stimulating a mucosal immune response. Okay. So I don't know what codon optimizations are, or what a mucosal immune response is. I am, after all, a joke elf, not a doctor. I honestly cannot differentiate those tweets from one from a source I trust. This was retweeted by Noah Smith, who I really like. 
tweets from a source I trust like this, and this comes from Bloom Lab, and they say, here's how mutations in SARS coronavirus new variant B11529 will affect polyclonal and monoclonal antibodies targeting RBD. These assessments are based on deep mutational scanning experiments. Underlying data can be explored interactively at, and then there is a link. Okay, that's from a source I trust. But my brain just processes those words as science, 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 B11529, science variant, science the science, how science. This tweet performs basically the exact same function as Star Trek lines, <laughs> like when they would say, we're synthesizing the dilithium crystals into the hyperdrive reactors. It's just a bunch of speech-like clattering that tells the audience that advanced science stuff is happening. Think about it. Would it have made any difference if Star Trek had manufactured a scientifically accurate sentence? I really doubt it, because I, for one, had to Google dilithium crystals to see if they are real. God damn it, no, they are not. What a disappointing world we're living in. But the point is, to the untrained ear, the science, blah, blah, whatever, science, science, science version works absolutely every bit as well as the genuine article. Unless you are a virologist or an epidemiologist, you have spent this pandemic trusting other people. I have. I'm not embarrassed about it. I personally am proud to be a joke elf. I am proud of the decade I spent in clown college, and I don't consider myself dumb just because my expertise lies in knowing why barf is funnier than vomit instead of knowing the finer points of virology. In fact, I think there's actually a certain wisdom to knowing that my degree from the Chicago Institute of Balloon Animals and Squirty Boutonnieres does not prepare me to do my own research. Different people have different levels of fluency in the language of a pandemic, but almost all of us, almost all of us will, on some level, be relying on social trust. And that's why the thing you hear all the time, follow the science, that's why follow the science doesn't quite work. Which science? The science we deem credible depends on who we trust. Personally, my social trust in institutions like the FDA and the CDC was formed in part by the eight years I spent working in the federal government. I worked for the EPA. I've talked about this before. That experience taught me two things. Thing number one, most federal employees are honest and capable people. Thing number two, there is a certain amount of hardwired <laughs> institutional dumbassery that comes with any large organization and that makes large-scale conspiracy impossible. Which is to say, number one, nobody where I was wanted to execute an evil conspiracy. And number two, if we had wanted to execute an evil conspiracy, we could not have pulled it off. I know for a fact that the government is not doing things like implanting people with microchips. And I know this because in my office, our asses pretty much got kicked by two-sided printing. There is no chance that atomic-level robotics are going to be mastered by the same people who don't know how to mute their fucking line on a conference call. Okay? These two visions do not match. So, perversely, that gives me 
a higher level of institutional trust than I think a lot of people have. There is some evidence that we are living at the moment in a time of low institutional trust, especially in government. Now, strangely, the high ebb of institutional trust, especially in government, is typically thought to be the post-World War II era. Apparently, nothing earns the public's trust like putting people in internment camps and developing civilization-ending technology totally in secret, both of which happened. At any rate, institutional trust now seems to be low, and there's some data behind this. And it's not likely soon going to recapture the dizzying heights <laughs> it enjoyed in the 1940s, which was also a time when the press colluded with the White House to hide the fact that the president couldn't walk. I don't understand why people trusted the government so much back then. But they did, it seems. Again, there's some data. So, when it comes to trust, obviously, a certain amount of skepticism is good. I have identified myself as a person who is inclined to trust government institutions, but that trust is not absolute. I know, for example, that the military lies all the time, and I am well-versed in the many ways that government makes bad decisions. I've written about this in the past. It would be naive, frankly, to blindly trust any institution. I am probably like most people. My trust waxes and wanes depending on what the institution does. Trust has to be earned. And that's why I think the CDC's missteps during the pandemic have outsized importance. I'm going to highlight two things, two highly visible and much criticized moments. The first is the CDC's early pandemic statements questioning the efficacy of masks. And the second thing is Dr. Fauci's admission to the New York Times late last year that he adjusted his statements about what level of resistance was necessary for herd immunity based partly on what he thought the public was, quote, ready to hear, unquote. Now, I think I understand the logic behind both of these decisions. With the masks, early in the pandemic, the CDC was worried about people buying up already scarce N95 masks. Those masks were needed for medical workers. There was a concern that reduces the likelihood of transmission, would be interpreted by many as makes you completely safe. So I understand to a certain extent where they were coming from. I understand. Regarding the herd immunity thing, I understand that Dr. Fauci was worried that if he said we needed to get to 90%, it would trigger what I'll call a well-then-fuck-everything response in people, and that would make them less likely to get vaccinated. So I get that too. I get that these decisions were made with several factors in mind, and I think they were probably made with good intentions. But I also think these decisions were extremely wrong. The effects of these decisions went way beyond whatever short-term confusion they might have caused. The main effect was to degrade the CDC's credibility. And since just about all of us are operating on trust during this pandemic, every little bit of credibility that the CDC lost made more people susceptible to the siren call of the global COVID bullshit industrial complex. Consider, for example, how difficult this situation makes the argument for people like me, i.e. dinosaur liberals who mostly trust the CDC 
and wish we could trust it more. Imagine this conversation. I say, the CDC says you're safer with a vaccine than without one. The other person says, the CDC lied about masks and herd immunity. All right, so then I have to say, ah, okay, yes, they, okay, they did. They did do that, and I agree that that was bad. But I would argue that those statements don't negate their position on vaccines. Can I talk to you for a moment about how vaccine approval is a data and consensus-driven process? The other person is going to say, do not do that. At which point I'll probably say, are you sure? And the other person will say, I will hit you with wood if you do that. And at that point, the conversation is probably over. The degrading of the CDC's credibility just complicates the entire picture. There is also a similar problem regarding the mainstream media. And I'm going to define the mainstream media as the New York Times, the Washington Post, NPR, CNN, a couple others. There is a debate right now, most pointedly between Andrew Sullivan and Jonathan V. Last. And if you Google them slash media debate... I'm sure you can find the two articles that sum up their back and forth, and I think it's definitely worth reading. Both make good points. But there's a debate right now about how much the mainstream media can be trusted. Andrew Sullivan argues that their credibility is basically gone. Jonathan V. Last thinks they're about the same level of imperfect that they've always been. I find myself somewhere in between the two arguments. I think that the Times and Post are probably the worst that they've been in my lifetime, but I also think they are not complete birdcage liner just yet. Nonetheless, the change that they've undergone is significant. The difference between a New York Times that I trust 90% and a New York Times that I trust 75%, that is the difference between me using them as my go-to source for information and me seeking out other sources for that role. And what's happening here is that in the past year or two, we saw a major push for institutions to reflect a particular ideology. A lot of people argued, and argued openly, this is you know not a conspiracy theory, they said it publicly. A lot of people argued that institutions who were preaching neutrality should instead take on a, quote, social justice role. Again, their words. It happened in some corners of the media. It happened at several organizations, both companies and nonprofits. It happened at many universities. Scientific touchstones like the American Medical Association and science-based medicine had some very weird moments. There are, of course, links to those very weird moments in the written version of this episode. The ACLU, their purpose seems to have dramatically changed. The result of all this has been a degrading of institutions' credibility, both individually and collectively, to the extent that institutions have accepted this change in purpose, people no longer trust them to provide them with the truth. And that degrading of trust, that is rational, because an institution that declares that its purpose is to pursue social justice as defined by a very narrow set of activists, that institution has disavowed the pursuit of truth and declared loyalty to a predetermined set of beliefs. Personally, I believe that institutions chronically undervalue their credibility. I think that was the driver behind the CDC decisions on masks and herd immunity. I think they had an outcome I'm seeking on one side of the ledger and our long-term credibility on the other side of the ledger, and they didn't realize that the second thing is far, far more valuable than the first thing. 
and I think this happens all the time. I think whenever a university ties itself in knots over some rinky-dink campus flare-up, they lose some credibility. Whenever a publication shies away from facts that might upset their audience, they lose some credibility. This loss of trust, this isn't a small thing. This is a huge thing because society needs a common set of facts that we can use to make decisions. Every person who is cut adrift by sloppy dissembling, that person is a candidate to be seduced by a true-sounding narrative that might just be weapons-grade bullshit. Institutions, of course, make mistakes. That is inevitable. We can't expect them to be perfect. But trust does indeed wax and wane depending on the frequency and the size of the mistakes they make. It really would be nice if there were advanced statistics for institutional performance the way there are in baseball. I wonder what the CDC's value over some random asshat on Facebook or Volsreoff would be in the past year. I worry that it might actually not be very high. It does seem like restoring credibility should be a top priority for a lot of institutions. I'm talking specifically here about the CDC, because if people don't listen to the CDC, then they are quite likely to listen to some random guy on YouTube saying things like the Krypton Metachlorians in the OPP sequence from the Fredonia Institute indicate that vaccines are definitely not safe. And that is not the guy we want people listening to. And that's the episode. I really hope I got the level of criticism of institutions right in this one, because I do think they've stepped on their balls a couple times, and I do think they could do better, but I also don't want to feed a kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater mentality. It can't be the case, oh, they made a mistake, therefore we must never trust them ever again. That can't be the rule. At any rate, thank you very much for listening. This episode has been sponsored by the Indiana Board of Tourism, or at least goddamn well should have been, because I said some very nice things about the state of Indiana and their lovely, lovely, unique moon. You have not experienced the moon until you've seen it from Indiana. That's all for this week. I will be back with another podcast next week. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Bye for now. Bye for now.